Welcome to Better Roads, a podcast with Randall Bach, president of Open Bible Churches. Everyone has a story to their journey, and God loves to participate in those stories. Join Randall as he explores another Better Roads adventure. Hey, welcome to Better Roads. Really pleased to have you join with us today. And uh, I'm especially pleased today that our guest we're conversing with is Luke Harden. Um, Luke and I have uh, been trying to get together to do this for a while, but you see Luke is a detective with the Des Moines Police Department. And the last time we were going to meet, he was called out because of a homicide that had taken place in Des Moines. All in a day in your life, huh, Luke? Well, I suppose so. I'm uh, certainly a pleasure to be on, and I'm pleased to say I'm a fan of the podcast. Um, uh, a friend of mine and uh, Pastor Aaron Keller was recently on your your uh, podcast. Mm-hmm. I, uh, when I heard that, I, I had to listen. I enjoyed it very much, and I went back and uh, listened to all, all the other guests as well. So I really enjoy what you're doing with the podcast. You're uh, just the heart of the matter. What you're getting at, is, I think it's great. Wow. I got to put a gold star in your chart, man. I didn't know that. I'm <laughs> impressed. Thank you for uh, uh, taking in all of those podcasts. And I'm sure people will enjoy listening to you today. And, you know, today what we want to do is we want to talk about, of course, what it's like to be a law enforcement today. But we also want to move beyond that. And we'll get to the point where we discuss about your personal life, the roads you have traveled on and how you've come to know the Lord. But let's go back to the beginning and where you are and what you do today. When did you join law enforcement and why did you do that? Sure. Uh, The win is pretty easy. Uh, Basically right out of college. um, I didn't know what I really wanted to do with my life. I knew uh, I knew I had to do something. I really enjoyed more uh, sports and and leisure and play growing up in college, and and I didn't have a lot of interest in in uh, school, at least at a young age. So I wanted to I wanted to get a fun job and something uh, that I would still be interested in <laughs> yes. behind a desk all the time. Yeah. And so so I applied just out of the blue. I didn't have any uh, sort of family that was in law enforcement. I didn't know anything about law enforcement for the most part, except just what I had seen from an outside perspective. Uh, but I thought it might be a good fit. Um, so that's, that's kind of why I applied, at least uh, from the outside view. I think the real reason uh, why I ended up in law enforcement is I truly believe that God intended it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, remember, I remember going through this application process pretty thorough, uh, six months, uh, multiple levels of testing and all those things. And I remember just as a, a 23-year-old kid sitting down in front of uh, um, the majors uh, in this Des Moines Police Detective Unit. So some of the highest guys on this ranking uh, department, one of the biggest departments in the state. And uh, I had no idea what I was doing. I had no life experience. Um, I did okay in some of the, the testing process. I did well, uh, but, but I just had no experience. And uh, I remember... Uh, you know, probably being in over my head during that interview. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I do remember one question. Um, they basically just asked what drives me, you know, kind of trying to get at what kind of person I was. Um, and I just remember saying, Hey, I'm a, I'm a Christian. It's something I believe and it, it's something that impacts everything I do. Yeah. And uh, basically more or less, that's what you're getting if you choose me. And uh, so I, I try to, I, I remember just trying to acknowledge the Lord and just true to his word, um, 
he began to straighten my paths um, from that career. And I just remember uh, through that testing process, they kept whittling us down and they kept telling me there's, uh, we're hoping for 16 spots, 15 or maybe 16 spots is the most we can choose. We'd like to choose you all, but this is what we're given. This is what we're allowed to take. Um, and then lo and behold, I did get the call and say that I made it. Um, and my first day, uh, they handed out your badge number and they ranked us all um, by seniority, basically. Um, and I learned that, you know, that was that was the uh, how we did in the application process. And I learned that not only was I dead last in that group, <laughs> really, uh, but there was 17 of us. And I still don't have a good explanation as to how that happened. Um, I've never heard. Uh, favor. But I think favor. Absolutely. It, it was certainly a God thing. And I had talked to uh, a lot of my classmates um, had applied to three or four different agencies. I didn't even think about that. I just applied to Des Moines because that's what happened to be open when I decided to try to be a police officer that week, essentially. And uh, I talked to one of my classmates who had applied six or seven times with the police department until he finally got on. Uh, so I didn't realize how how much favor uh, I had been given. And God truly did straighten my paths for this. And that's why I think I'm a police officer today, not because I just wanted to, but I, I do think God intended it. You answered a call on your life is what you just, I just heard you say that. God called you to this. So you, so yeah. how many people yeah. were involved when making this cut? What was the pool that they were looking at? I, I don't know the exact number, but it was in the hundreds, uh, somewhere between three and 500 is what I want to say. Whoa, wow. So you tell us about the, your journey then. Is it uh, you, you go to police academy and how, what happened between there and becoming a detective? What were your steps? Yeah, so once I was finally hired, it's a, a six-month process. You go through an academy, uh, 22 weeks, and um, they, they just kind of wear you down. They set you up uh, to fail. They teach you a lot. Um, but they also want to find your breaking point. They want to, mm -hmm. uh, they want to just uh, learn more about you. And if, if you don't have the uh, ability to handle some of the situations out on the street, they want to find that out beforehand and not later sure. on. Yeah. Uh, so I think as, as ironic it is to say, I think setting you up to fail is actually um, a good method in a lot of ways. It prepares you for what you're going to be, uh, what you're going to be handed later on. Sounds like you're you were in the Marines with that. They, they, they try to break you down <laughs> well, first, huh? <laughs> sure, and and I'm sure it's not to that extent, but it is a paramilitary type of concept. Uh, there's you know there's yeah. ranks and a certain uh, chain of command you have to follow, and, and certain things of that nature. So, so what was your trail that led you to become a detective, and how long have you been a detective now? So uh, once once I got out of the academy, I was uh, trained on the street too by a field training officer, and eventually got out on my own. Um, I worked uh, patrol or some level of uniform. Um, I worked the gang unit for uh, a couple of years as well, but for about eight or nine years. And then in 2017, I moved over to detectives. You, you've got to see some uh, grisly scenes and be aware of some very heartbreaking stories as you do this. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And it's something you kind of expect going into it. Obviously, the first couple of times, especially, it's not what you prepare for all the way. Um, but I do think that that was part of my DNA, I guess, like you mentioned mm -hmm. a calling earlier. I, I do think, you know, like I said, God intended me to do this for a reason. So uh, I oh. believe that he equipped me uh, 
mm-hmm. deal with those type of trips and calls and, and uh, issues uh, when I run into him. And, and he's been very good with that. He's protected me from things and uh, just prepared me for what I come across. So you didn't want something you would be bored sitting at a desk and God said, <laughs> got you covered on that one, uh, Luke. So what, what, do you, what do you find most fulfilling? What do you enjoy the most about being uh, in law enforcement? Yeah, that's a good question. And I'm sure um, you've probably known enough police officers to know that, you know, we're, we're not normal for the most part. We're not the average person. <laughs> and, and so um, even explaining what I enjoy most um, is almost a little strange too. Uh, but I would maybe use a story when I was about five years on, um, we had, and we talk about real life stuff, uh, a person who came out of his house on the south side of Des Moines, I grabbed a rifle, his rifle, and uh, just started shooting um, at random things, uh, people driving by, cars driving by, mm-hmm. and uh, we didn't know what was going on. Um, we heard it on the radio. I, I wasn't even scheduled to work that day, but I did have a training day, uh, a patrol rifle training day. So um, at the time this went out on the radio, I was driving a van with eight other guys. Uh, we had just well, I'll get into that here in a second, but, but essentially, um, uh, we got, we got to this house and, um, well, I was driving a, a patrol. I was driving a, a van with eight other guys. We had just cleaned our rifles and we were headed to the shooting range to train. Uh, so normally we wouldn't have even been there that day. Uh, but I just, I bring this up to talk about God's favor and, um, um, uh, if we would, if this would have happened 15 minutes earlier, we all would have been um, at the station, probably not listening to our radio, and uh, we had a, would have had a bunch of broken down guns that we were in the middle of cleaning. We couldn't have responded to that. Uh, 15 minutes later, we would have been out on the shooting range, not being able to listen to the radio, and we would have mm-hmm. been um, quite a ways away from where this happened. But we had just cleaned our rifles, being <laughs> ready to shoot these things. And uh, we left the station and were able to respond to that right away. So um, uh, all that to say, that did not end well for the gentleman that did that. And it wasn't, it wasn't a good day. It's not a day I look on um, as something yeah. uh, good. Yeah. But I, I just see that even in the bad days, um, God shows up and he moves and works in horrible situations. And um, I, I just... I just, I feel useful in that situation. I'm just a typical guy that wants to uh, be useful and feel useful. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I feel like when, when there's days like that, that aren't ideal, that are, are, that people need help, that's, that's what I enjoy most is being able to be useful and be there to help in a situation that is sometimes horrible. And who knows how many lives were saved as a result of yeah. that. Yeah. And that's the other thing. Um, no other lives were lost in that. And, um, I just replay that in my head over and over, even uh, many years later, if, if it would have happened again and again, um, anything would have changed. It could have been so much worse. Um, there was literally a citizen driving by that a bullet grazed his head. Mm. It didn't, didn't go through It went right by Mm. him, but it literally grazed his head and left a very, very, very minor injury. That's how close some of these things went and it could have been so much worse. So even in the bad days, um, I just see God work. And, and uh, it's just a good thing to remember. We tend to praise God when great things happen and we should, yes. uh, but also, you know, in the horrible days, uh, God's grace is still there. Amen. Excellent. So how do you, how do you separate this 
what you're dealing with at work when you come home, because you've dealt with some, some days you, I'm sure there are days that are mundane. And then there are other days like you just described that are full of sorts, all sorts of things. And you've seen, you've seen people at their worst and some very ugly situations. How do you come home and separate that? And what would you like to tell us about your family in the process? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll start with my family. Um, I've got uh, a wife named Courtney. We met in high school and have been hanging out for the la- every day for the last 20 years. Um, and we have five kids, everywhere from uh, 12 years old down to eight months old. A couple of girls first and then three boys. So uh, we certainly have our hands full. And uh, Courtney is an amazing wife that really juggles everything. While uh, I'm able to leave home at the drop of a hat, if I get called out, she makes me look good in that respect. <laughs> so uh, I, I love my family. And and I guess to answer your second question, how do I separate work and home? It, it, it's priorities. Um, I love my job and I enjoy going to work most days. I really do, but I'd rather be home. And um, some of this stuff, like we mentioned, can be very tempting to take home with you. Uh-huh. Uh, but, you know, I have, I have uh, hopes and dreams as a, a police officer, but um, I have, I've got a lot more hopes and dreams for my family. Yes. And so I, I think about that stuff when I'm at home. And I just, I, I have a lot more uh, intentions of keeping my fam- family around a lot longer than my career. Well, and of course, there are some hard realities that go with serving in law enforcement. I I noticed that in 2019, 48 law enforcement officers died as a result of a felonious attack. And so far in 2020, 65 have been killed as a result of some sort of act of violence. That's a 28% increase. Um, Look, how do you and Courtney and, you know, other uh, loved ones, members of your family, um, how do you, how do you uh, process that? How, how do you deal with the dangers that come with being in the person in blue? Well, sure. Yeah. You mentioned my wife and I, I think just as much as we talked about uh, God intending me to be a police officer, I think God intended Courtney to be a, a law enforcement officer wife. Um, <laughs> she's, Great. she's maybe, she's maybe better at that than I am at my job. And um, it, it's funny you asked the question because just uh, um, just a while ago, I was talking to Courtney and she said uh, she has only worried one time in the 12 plus years that I've been a police officer about me. Um, so she is clearly on board with this God thing that God has intended me to do this. Mm. And, and that one Beautiful. particular time was was in 2016. And that was a hard year for Des Moines. Uh, Tony Bominio, the uh Des Moines police sergeant was shot and killed and, and Justin Martin to the Urbandale officer oh, in the yes. same, by the same kind of thing. And I got called out in the middle of the night and had to leave for that. She said she was genuinely kind of worried for that. And that was a hard time uh, for uh, local law enforcement for sure. Uh, but she's been amazing at, at not worrying at, at uh, trusting me and just supporting me when I go out in the middle of the night without any sort of explanation to her, she understands and, uh, and supports me so much. So that's you're, part of it. You're blessed. That's what you just told me. <laughs> A- absolutely. Like I said, she makes my job so much easier because she does some of the things that just goes unnoticed. It won't go unrewarded when it's all said and done, but it goes unnoticed a lot of times. And so she's so good at that. She makes it so much easier to do my job. Um, I guess another thing I would say is just as far as, as God and 
intending to um, have me be in law enforcement, um, it's not just how I got the job um, because God could intended me to be a police officer. And that doesn't mean he intends me to stay there necessarily, uh, but God continually protects me and just has his hand in what I do. Um, I remember um, when I was still on patrol, uh, running into an individual and finding some drugs on him. And uh, as the norm, I would try to handcuff him, take those drugs. Um, sometimes when that happens, you know, suspects run off or something like that. This particular suspect uh, decided to try and fight me. And, and we got into a, a kind of a knockdown wrestling match on the ground there. Um, and you know, I'm pretty average size at best. Um, so this guy was, was bigger than me and, uh, I was doing okay. Uh, but I couldn't really get him cuffed up. And at one point he was able to hop up and he took off running and, um, you know, maybe what I lack in strength, I make up for in speed. Cause I, I caught up to him again, <laughs> but I just remember, uh, when I was closing in on him saying, I'm not looking forward to round two for this. Uh, and, and before I got to him, he, he was, he was, uh, he was running around the house. We were, he was kind of turning a corner and when I was chasing him around the house and at the side of the house, there was a little, uh, wooden walkway, uh, uh, uh just a few steps. And as he was cutting around that, at, uh, those steps, uh, his shirt caught on those wooden steps with the railing. And I just remember seeing him, it, it it wasn't much. I just remember him, that shirt being caught and him just being thrown to the ground, <laughs> like almost, almost violently. Wow. And, and it didn't even looking back on it now, it didn't make a lot of sense physically to me. Uh, but he was just, the wind was knocked out of him. I was able to jump on top of him and just cuff him up with no problems. And, um, <laughs> So, I mean, God, God is continually just working and protecting me and uh, having his hand in things that I try to do. I remember another uh, a story, just quickly, um, of a chase that was initiated by another officer, uh, but we were kind of second on scene, and the car chase turned into a foot chase because there was a crash. And so the, the driver of this car took off running, and uh, I, I had pulled up just uh, a few seconds after this crash, and the suspect was already running. And so I pop out of my car and, and try to run after him. Um, it was, it was in the middle of the night. I do remember that, but, uh, I just remember running across this open field and <laughs> I'm not even sure how to, how to explain it, but I, I was running at a speed that I'd never run before. And, um, it's kind of strange, but, but I just <laughs> remember basically a, a supernatural, a gift from the Lord to, to take care of me in that situation. And, and I didn't even, I don't even think I caught the guy. Somebody else did before I got there, but it's just, just God reminding me that he's, he's with me in this stuff. So, yeah. so I don't, I don't say that just necessarily convince anybody of, of what happened, but just to say that God, that that was there for me from, from the Lord, that he's just reminding me that he's still there. And um, that's, that's the way I deal with the potential dangers. World champion speed when he needed. And then I think an <laughs> angel tackled that other guy before you could get to him. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. You might be more right than you know. Yeah. <laughs> well, Luke, let's, we've got to talk about some of the tough stuff. 
you know, that's happening today. So many tensions in our country right now mm-hmm. where, you know, the police are, you know, in the, in the center of it. And uh, it seems like I think everyone in this country, it's hard to believe anyone has not seen the video of George Floyd. Yeah. Who died with a policeman's knee on his neck. Now, you know, I know that you stand shoulder to shoulder with your other men and women in blue. These are your brothers and sisters in blue. But what what were your thoughts? What's your reaction to that video? How, how do you process what we all saw that day? Yeah, well, I certainly had a sick feeling when that first uh, video popped up. And uh, just even, you know, in the in the many months that have followed since then, I have no problem saying that that was, that was wrong. That was absolutely wrong. And, um, you know, uh, I guess to put it this way, um, I've got almost 400 co- co-workers that I go to work with every day and share a building with. Um, and I don't by any means agree, <laughs> agree with every one of them, just like uh, many other people that work in a, a building with anybody sure. more than that people there's a lot of different personalities and different viewpoints and different stances and um so i don't even uh, agree with everyone in my own building uh, let alone um, you know officers from other agencies and officers from other states um so you know it's just it's uh, difficult to answer for everybody everywhere around the nation to be honest yeah i, I, I absolutely yeah, and I, and I absolutely, um, like I said, I have a sick feeling when I see that video. I would encourage people to go back and look at other body camera video and other things that are released uh, mm-hmm. since then. There's a, a little more information. Um, yeah. And that's one thing I would say just as maybe an overall uh, uh, opinion on this, not this, just this case, but in general, because there's going to be other cases. There's other things that pop up. And, um, you know, this is relevant today. It might not be relevant specifically in a couple of years, but the concept is, and, um, that's, that's the, you know, we hear a lot of stuff in the news all the time. And it seems like we all have to be experts about every new, uh, current event that pops up. Yeah. And, yeah. um, you know, one of the things that I investigate in addition to homicides is, is officer involved shootings. Um, and so there's a lot of opinion about, um, you know, police, use of police force and officer involved shootings and things like that. And I would just say that um, I get a lot more of the facts than an average person listening in the media to these cases. And I still have a very hard time developing a good solid opinion as to what happened. And and so I think um, a lot of times the, the general member of the public hears one or two, uh, narratives about something and that's it they've developed their opinion and they're not swaying from it and they're outspoken about it and trying to convince other people and maybe even spew hatred towards people that have an opposite opinion Mm -hmm. but i just i just think that when these things happen um, we should look into them and we should keep police accountable absolutely Uh, but i also think um, you know when you hear one or two headlines on something you don't know everything about what's happened yet yeah, get all the facts is what you're saying. So, you know, it seems like everyone has a mobile phone today. Everyone can capture video. So we see, I mean, all these videos that we see, uh, that one was probably one of the most jarring, but we do realize that we see uh, just a clip 
uh, one snapshot in essence of what took place. And you know about all the cries that are going up about uh, defunding police and the violence that's been targeted uh, against police. Um, and just like you said, there are 400 people in your building and they're all, they're all individuals and you're not all identical. You're not robots. Well, it's also true that all cities are different. Yeah. And, um, you know, it, what appears to me, uh, Luke, is that in some cases, in some cities, when there's a confrontation or something that takes place, it seems like people in city leadership automatically assume that there's guilt on the part of police, like presume guilt, guilty until proven innocent. So uh, th this has to be difficult for you when you see that taking place in other cities. Sure, it, it absolutely is. And like you said, every city is, is different. Um, but just the overall uh, narrative that you know police are, are in the wrong is kind of growing. And to some degree, that, that's warranted because there's cases that there's a um, there's police doing things that are, are wrong and they need to be held accountable for that. Uh, I do believe a lot of times, uh, almost always, they are held accountable for that uh, in the end. Uh, but, you know, what's really happening with these calls to, you know, defund police and, and what needs to be done concerning, you know, the role of, of law enforcement, I guess we need to look, you know, at reform. Yes, I'm, I'm all for, mm -hmm. um, you know, as far as, Defunding, people need to realize what that really does. Um, you know, it, it reduces the amount of cops on the street to give you help when you call 911. It slows yes. down the response time when when you call 911 if someone's breaking into your house and you need help. That's right. So it's just got some really practical applications when people uh, just kind of yell out, defund the police. Um, they, they need to be more specific, I think, as to what they really want. Um, uh -huh. Because, you know, a disbanding is a lot different than a reform. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and the people crying out the loudest uh, to defund the police are probably the ones who would suffer the most if the police were defunded. So lots of ideas about reform. Let me throw one out at you that I've been hearing a lot about uh, this recently. And that is if on the reform side of things, if there would be someone who's like a trained social worker or counselor you know, to ride with police so they could be available to help de-escalate a situation that involves someone with like mental health challenges. Is that a good idea, bad idea? What do you think about that? Um, I think the exact way you, you posed it would not be the greatest way to do it. So I, I can speak for Des Moines and in Des Moines, we have um, what's called our mobile crisis unit. And it's, it's kind of what you explained um, where, where if we have a, an, a mental individual that we're, you know, not particularly directly dangerous um, that we can speak with a little bit and is willing to speak with us. Um, we can call them out, you know, and they can come meet us. And if it's safe, they can speak with them and give them some more options as far as medical uh, options and, and, and things, things that they can do uh, besides just taking them to jail or, or moving them along mm -hmm. or things like that to give them some more options. And that that's obviously a little bit more um, on the uh, medical side of things that we're not fully trained on. So, so that's something we do now and it's a, it's a benefit, you know, Good. if they, if they rode along with us, I think that'd be kind of a waste of resources. We might use them once or not at all that particular shift or things like that. Yeah. Um, so, so, 
you know, there is definitely an aspect of, of need to that um, because a lot of times we do get called for things that are not criminal or things that are not, um, you know, really matching our job description that we're not trained and best equipped to handle. So I know that there are, with all the differences you point out, there are a lot of outstanding men and women who do serve in law enforcement, who, who are really dedicated public servants. And, uh, you know, they get tarred with the same brush of accusation in our current climate right now. And it, it has to be tough for police officers who know they're doing their jobs with integrity. I mean, that, that has to be difficult when you know you're doing your best and you're being honorable about it. And yet uh, people think that you're uh, the worst person in the world, uh, <laughs> you know, to, because you're just trying to do your job. Talk to me a little bit about how do police feel today? I realize you can only give me the view of right here in Des Moines. It will vary with every city. But do police feel kind of like under siege? Uh, can you give us a sense of their temperature? Yeah, and that's a good question. I think you're on something there. There, there are um, there are officers that you know are, are turned off by all this, and and a few um, even I think you know have chosen to maybe you know retire early or possibly even change uh, change jobs. Um, but I think the average police officer too is very resilient. Um, you know, we we don't mm-hmm. do this um, for the applause or or anything like that. I think most of us do it because that's kind of what we're um, made to do. And that's, that's our uh, makeup. So I I think for the most part, um, the average police officer has been pretty resilient and just, just continuing to keep going because most of us do know, um, you know, the the loudest people in the room are usually the ones that are upset. And we do know um, that the majority of people are are just hardworking people that go to work every day and, um, you know, support law enforcement. How should we pray for police? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, we talked about earlier with safety. Um, I, I've spoken of all the times where, where God's been so good and, and kept me safe. Um, I think part of that um, is probably uh, people at my church that I have to thank. I, I can't tell you how many people every week just come up to me. Some of them I barely even know that just say, hey, I'm praying for you, Luke. I'm praying for your protection. I'm praying for you every week. Um, and, and man, I think those absolutely are heard in heaven and work. I really do. Um, so safety is a huge thing, but, um, it's not the first priority. If safety was our first priority, we would just stay home. We wouldn't go to work. Um, so pray for the cause of what we're supposed to do too. I know, uh, Romans 13 talks about police and military, uh, that are, they're used by God to, uh, oppose those that do evil. And so that's, um, part of the reason I do have, pride in my job is, is, um, God has his hand in law enforcement. Um, you know, like I said, there's Christians and non-Christians, uh, in law enforcement, but, but he can use police and military, um, to just oppose those who do evil, um, as part of his hand. So, so there's that, uh, just pray for that cause. And also the, just the ability to resist the temptation to be bitter, I would say. Um, oh, that's powerful. Yeah, yeah we, we talk a lot about um, the, the trips and, and things that uh, officers deal with. And we usually see the worst. The, you know, we don't get called when things are going well. Nobody, nobody needs us there. Um, so usually the best case scenario is, is just um, everything turns out okay and as the status quo. Um, so so uh, we see 
a lot of people that are angry and bitter. And um, sometimes the temptation is to match that. Mm -hmm. it, it's a challenge not to become hardened when you're on that kind of situation. Uh, so, yeah. That's good. That's a good reminder for all of us to pray for police. And, and look, I know I speak on behalf of our listeners today when I say we are so thankful for you and the other men and women who serve in law enforcement. And here's the thing. I, I trust you not just because you carry a badge, but because of who dwells in your heart. Uh, you're just sharing with us today how who the Lord means to you and how you're doing this really is as a call. You know, God's giving you favor and God's going before you. So wind us way back. Let's go back before Police Academy. Let's go back before Courtney. Let's go back before all of that. And tell us, how did you become a Christian? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I used to hate that question because I thought uh, my testimony was boring. Um, so I accepted Jesus at a pretty young age. I don't remember uh, the day, but I do remember the moment pretty specifically and just acknowledging that, hey, God, I don't have you figured out all the way by any means, but I know that there's a lot more out there than me and I need your help. And uh, I want you to uh, come into my heart. And uh, so I think my dad had a, had a big role in that, just my concept of understanding God as a father, uh, the way the Bible talks about it in a lot of places. Um, and I think like the Israelites, I had a, 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 uh, wilderness wandering period. Mm -hmm. Deuteronomy 8 talks about the Israelites wandering period. And it says, uh, God led you all the, all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and, and to test you and to know what was in your heart. And, uh, so I think God had a purpose for, uh, <laughs> really my over 20 year holding pattern, um, where I was almost in neutral. Uh, with him. And he was exposing to me the issues of my own heart and showing me how to live with the freedom that he had given me. Cause I didn't, I didn't understand what was going on. Um, and I, I was, I was pretty stubborn to say the least as a kid and growing up. Uh, but you don't have a good story without overcoming a good failure. And so you've heard about kind of some of my successes, but, um, I think, you know, I think, uh, what maybe really explains, um, why I'm wired the way I am is, is some of my failures. And uh, so in, in the in the world's eyes, I didn't do anything that bad. Um, I wasn't saved from prison or, or hard drugs or Satanism or anything like that. But I was saved just from, I guess, radical mediocrity. And, uh, <laughs> That's a great term. Yeah. Uh, saved, saved from fear, too. Um, so I would say fear that ru fear ruled my life for, for over 20 years after I was saved because mm -hmm. I was that stubborn and, uh, I, I didn't let God move. I didn't realize the power that I had in me. Um, and, uh, specifically it continued, it, it continually seemed to manifest itself in one way. And that was public speaking. So I remember the first time I discovered this, um, as a kid at a, church Christmas play. I remember it was the night before the play and we were just doing a, a kind of a walk through a run through of, of uh, what we we're going to do the next day at the play. And I think my role was probably one step above the, the uh, animals in the manger. I just had one line and uh, um, it got to me. It was my time to, to read that line. 
and I experienced my first time with stage fright and uh, my muscles just began to tremble up and I, I tried to get out the words and something came out. I don't think uh, anything really um, <laughs> that you could decipher came out and uh, everyone just kind of laughed and the teacher said, well, you better get that frog out of your throat before tomorrow. And so I went home and um, I remember that next day it was, it was about time to leave uh, for this play. And I just stayed in bed and, and uh, faked sick and I didn't, didn't want to go. And my dad um, was trying to get me up and telling me and teaching me, you know, a good lesson about responsibility about I, this was my role that I, uh, I said I would do and I needed to do it. And I was letting down the team if I didn't, um, which were all really good, good concepts to, to teach me. But I, I just said, no, I'm, I'm sick. I didn't want to talk about the real issue. And so I stayed home. I didn't go. And um, that was kind of the first time that I just let fear dominate my choices. And uh, uh, there was another time later, uh, I tried to avoid public speaking as much as I could. Um, fifth grade, we had a poetry night and uh, we were all, uh, we had the parents come by and um, we would all, each student would read their poem that they had written. Um, one of the poems they'd written for the year they could choose and read. And I remember they had this desk. The entire room was dark except for one light pointing at this desk. So you would stand up there and it was your turn to read the poem. Uh, it got to me and I, I went and <laughs> tried to do this. I had, I had a very good poem actually uh, that my dad helped me write, but um, I just couldn't do it again. I, I stood there for two or three minutes and just uh, croaked essentially trying to get this poem out. <laughs> Yeah. And uh, I just couldn't physically do it. Um, and so my dad is in radio, by the way. He's very successful. He's won national awards. Um, he's been inducted into the Iowa Broadcasting Hall of Fame. Um, and I remember a kid in my class came up to me after this was over, uh, my friend, actually. And he said, well, I guess we know you'll never be like your dad. Oh, wow. Wow. And so um, these are just kind of some examples that fear kind of perpetuated me. And I just, I had no, I had no confidence to speak and I didn't want any part of it. And I let fear dictate um, a lot of my growing up because of that. Um, and you can fast forward even all the way to college. Um, my brother, my older brother, Drew, uh, got married and I was fortunate enough to be chosen as best man, but as you know, best man comes with a, a uh, speech. You got to give a best man speech. And so I, uh, I look up to my brother and I wanted to do this. I, I wrote a speech and I had that all prepared and I, I wanted to give him the best speech I could. Um, we stood up there just minutes before it was time for me to give that speech. And I just, I just knew I couldn't do that. I, I, I knew I wasn't fit physically going to be able to do this. So, uh, another groomsman gave that speech for me. He gave a speech. And so just constantly in my life, I was missing out on things because of fear. And, um, I guess the final step in this was, um, later on, um, one of my best friends in law enforcement also got married. So there's another wedding and he asked me to be his best man. And, um, I said yes to that. And, and this was about 2014 and in 2014 in my life, 
was a priority change. Um, I, you know, with law enforcement, you have weird hours and it's really hard to, to uh, finish your 10 hour shift at work at seven in the morning and then go sleep for a couple hours, hour and a half, and then wake up and go to church. Uh, so I wasn't going to church regularly. And in 2014, I just recommitted. Uh, I wanted to recommit to God and, and I always believed in God and, and trusted God, but I wanted to uh, recommit to him and actually have the rubber meet the road and changes, real changes in my life that reflected this, not just say that I was recommitting to God. So I got back into church and uh, uh, first church, the Open Bible in Des Moines was, was huge in that. I got to see people like uh, Pastor Spencer Karoff and, and Roger Cox and, and good men of God that I saw practically live out their faith every day. Mm-hmm. And it just, um, it just refreshed me in my Christian walk. And so I just remember leading up to that wedding, I, I said, God, clearly I can't do this by myself. Um, but <laughs> I'm asking for your help and whatever happens, you're going to be with me when I do this. And so uh, in July of 2015, that wedding came and uh, we were in the wedding party in a limousine driving to this reception. So uh, this, I was about to give this speech and uh, there was, uh, I was one of the few Christians, I think in the car actually, but um, so there was music playing, there was uh, drinking and just, you know, everybody having a great time. And I just remember staring through the roof, trying to ask for God's help for what was about to happen. And um, that particular time, God just chose to completely change my life and he lit my heart on fire. And, uh, you know, I can't fully explain what happened, but I just remember looking around that, that limousine and just having a heart that ached for those other people that didn't know what I knew about. Hmm. Um, I had a peace come upon me for what was about to happen before I even gave that speech. Um, I gave a great speech and, and, uh, I wasn't even nervous giving it. God gave me the peace before I even did it. Uh, so, uh, something just flipped in my life in 2015, um, when the spirit of God came upon me and just changed how I lived. And, um, so I was just, everything changed after that to me. And, and, uh, I started following God. Um, for, it went from being a burden to being a privilege is, I guess is how I would explain it. And um, mm-hmm. verses like First John 5, 3 started to make sense to me where it talks about his law is not burdensome. And uh, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible, Psalm 119, just it's the longest chapter in the Bible. And uh, the mm-hmm. psalmist just goes on and on about loving God's law and yeah. just uh, celebrating in his precepts. And that makes sense to me now. And so uh, it was just a, a complete game changer for me and just something that God chose by his grace that I don't fully know why uh, to give me. And I'm just so thankful for it. And that's, that's a testimony. That's why I am not ashamed to, to give a testimony now because God legitimately changed my life uh, in ways that I couldn't have ever done by myself. Amen. And here you are in this podcast giving a command performance right now in terms of speaking. So what a wonderful 
What a wonderful picture of God's grace and faithfulness to you over the years. Looking now, uh, I know you also, you are a member of the Board of Elders at First Church of the Open Bible. So God has kept you on this journey of growth in Him. Yeah, and like I said, with priorities as far as work and family and everything else, uh, the church is a priority of mine because it was the priority of Jesus. And I just feel uh, such a pleasure to be a part of that at all. And just to be in a leader still blows my mind, but I just love, I love being part of my church family. Well, this is, this is what we really love to talk about on this Better Roads podcast is the journey that we all go through. And as we look at, at our lives and the roads that we all take, uh, you, you had a road that was a radical mediocrity. I'm going to remember that term. You had that 20 years of that wandering period and, and God just, just, didn't leave you alone. God stayed with you during that time. And, you know, there, there are a lot of roads that come in life. Some of them that you choose that are good and bad. Some roads, it's like, it feels like they're assigned to us almost like this is just what I got, you know. But I've discovered in talking with people that everyone can identify that there were certain roads they chose. You use that word choice several times here as you shared your testimony. Mm -hmm. There are certain roads that you choose that are pivotal, very important to the outcome of who you are today. God miraculously, miraculously did his part, but you also made some choices. And that's one of the things we like to ask as we bring this to a close today, Luke, as you look back on your life, what were some of the key choices, the key roads you chose that were the best ones, the positive ones that have made such a profound di profound difference for you today? Yeah, well, uh, I guess when you ask that immediately, what comes to my head is 2008, and that was uh, the year I became a police officer, but a lot happened to me in 2008. Um, I got married that year. Uh, we bought a house that year, and at the very end of 2008, we even had our first child that year. So uh, pretty much every life event that could have happened to me happened mm -hmm. to me in 2008. Um, and including that, you know, uh, basically six months of that, of that year, I was in Academy getting, uh, <laughs> getting, uh, you know, humbled every day <laughs> when I went to work. Uh, so it, 2008 was very humbling to me. And, and uh, I just, I could have been overcome very easily, but I, I allowed God to just take care of it and, handle that burden for me. So 2008 was huge, um, just with so many things that happened to Courtney and I. And um, I guess the 2014, like I said earlier, was big for me too. It was just a, a year I really recommitted to God. It was no special magical formula that I said or prayed, uh, but it was just the cognizant choice to day-to-day um, -day things that I did to really reflect, well, was my time really going towards things of God. And, and so God used that year to, to really uh, change the trajectory of my life too. So uh, that was big too, just uh, getting back into the church. You know, church doesn't save you, but a lot of people get saved in church. Um, you know, so it's a good place to be. And uh, it certainly helped me um, just surrounded me with powerful men of God that gave me examples of how I should be living. Um, so that was a huge, that was a huge uh, a year for me as well. Well, I want to really want to thank you for this time today, Luke. This has been a joy to hear you share your story, your journey. And I know I speak on behalf of all of our listeners today. We want to thank you 
not only for what you do, we want to thank you, first of all, for who you are, how you've allowed the Lord to mold you and continue to mold and shape you. And we do pray for you, your safety and protection, for you and your family. And thank you for being who you are and being with us today. Well, thank you so much. And just just a, a last parting thing. Uh, I just want to encourage kind of the casual Christian, the person that I was not too long ago. It's so easy to get just bogged down in mediocrity and think God's uh, God's biggest blessings are for somebody else. Uh, but you just, you don't know what you're missing. Uh, you know, get back into the Lord, press into him, abide with, with God, and he will uh, just do amazing things for you. And, and I also want to encourage those that are not in full-time ministry. Um, I know a lot of your guests have been uh, pastors and, and people uh, uh, that usually are in full-time ministry, which is wonderful. I look up to all you guys and, and you can do things that I could never do. Um, but I want to encourage those that are not in full-time ministry that, um, you know, if the only people on fire for God are the pastors, um, then we have a problem. And uh, it's also kind of gets the message across that, you know, you, you can't be on fire for God and show up, you know, at, in a normal nine to five day job. And we need people like that all over this country. Amen. Good closing word. Ministry is more than a title. Thanks so much for joining us, Luke. Deeply appreciate it. And thank you for joining us on this Better Roads podcast. We look forward to you being with us next time. You have been listening to Better Roads with Randall Bach, president of Open Bible Churches. Join us next time as we explore how God is part of another person's journey.